Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Woods, back with another Page One podcast with Nate Monroe, columnist Nate Monroe. There maybe should be some kind of secret handshake or something. Yeah, I don't know. We're, well, we're co-columnists well, now. Welcome. Uh, uh, um, I was thinking this is indeed a Page One podcast. Be for I've been doing this, let's see, I don't know how many years, and for a while we had rules. No columns on Page One, no columns jumping. Nate's first column is on Page One. Like three hundred inches. No, I'm exaggerating slightly. <laughs> I think it can. What did come so in for some people? It was probably three hundred inches. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think. Uh, but anyway, no, you've you've come out swinging. That's for sure. Some really really strong, good stuff. So, um, um, I guess maybe start off with that that first one. Um, how you you said this is going to be a joyless slog. This mayoral race. I don't know why you would say such things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the last couple of weeks have you know, basically vindicated that view that, you know, the, the mayor's race, I mean, you know, Lenny Curry, our, our current mayor is, um, you know, not a really kind of feel good leader. He's someone who basically believes you're with him or you're the complete total enemy who has to be destroyed. And uh, that's how he views Anna Brochet's campaign, the city councilwoman who's challenging his reelection. And, you know, there really hasn't been much, um, I'm not sure what Anna Brochet's campaign is up to exactly, and, and maybe we you know, can talk about that at some point, but um, you know, she, her campaign's been really low-key right now, uh, you know, and so we've really just had you know, the mayor raising tremendous amounts of money and going to staged events and standing around with you know, sycophants who are smiling with him in Twitter pictures and everyone you know around him is being paid telling him what a great job he's doing and how great everything is and you know that's it's just there's no you know there's really no true believers in this campaign it's it's just people who don't like lenny and people who are basically paid by lenny and that's you know pretty much the two sides you you laid out in that that column how you thought this is a different uh has been a different mayor than previous ones um just a more political time, I think. Um, what, what, how would you say it has been different than everything that preceded it? Yeah, and, and I should say, too, that I don't think this is a view specific to me. Um, I think this is something that's pretty widely believed within the kind of circle of, of insiders um, who, who are either in or interact with city politics. So, you know, we're talking maybe 500 or 1,000 people. Um, yeah, I mean, previous mayors all kind of governed within this set of expectations that you you make a good faith effort to build a consensus around policy ideas and you execute them. And um, that's and, and for that reason, they were to some degree 
fairly nonpartisan mayors. I mean, you know, it's for whatever reason, we have partisan elections. So, I mean, it's not like John Delaney and John Payton weren't Republicans and Alvin Brown wasn't a Democrat. But there was a kind of queasiness about just open partisanship, I think, mm-hmm. in the city in the past. And um, that is just not the case with this guy. Um, we have a very openly partisan mayor. Uh, you know, he one of the first things he did after he got elected was go to this Florida GOP summit where he talked about how he won despite the attacks from the liberal media in Jacksonville, which is, you know, which is ludicrous. I mean, the paper endorsed him and, you know, we're the only local media that does endorsements. So, I mean, I don't, you know, it was just bizarre. Plus, uh, I think every mayor has felt they've been under attack from the TU and certainly Alvin Brown, I don't think would say had kid gloves, was treated with yeah, we we sued Alvin Brown. I mean, I can't imagine how Lenny's head would pop if the pair, if the newspaper actually sued his administration over open records. I mean, we probably should, uh, you know. But yeah, I mean, we've we've been tough on all mayors. I remember a time when Alvin Brown's campaign thought that um, that I and my colleague Chris Hong were like shills for the Lenny Curry campaign. It was ridiculous, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke. They all think that that we're out to get them. Right. Right. Um, so you've, well, I don't, yeah, maybe you want to come back to, so, you know, for a long time, we kept wondering, assuming there would be a challenger, um, last minute, Anna Brochet is the challenger that, you know, there's others, but that's really the only legitimate one. Um, but yeah, what do we make of that? Um, so far, I don't know. Um, Anna Brochet has always been a little bit of a cipher on the city council, and I think she likes it that way. Um, she was someone who um, she is a CPA, uh, you know, and, and is the managing partner of, of an accounting firm. And, uh, you know, she was the first Filipino American elected to the city council. And, and she came into office in 2015 with really a lot of excitement among that that bubble of insiders. People were really excited about Anna Brochet and thought, you know, that's the kind of person we should be elevating to, you know, to higher office here. Someone who gives the city a, a you know, a good look. Um, those people, by and large, who still support Lenny Curry do not believe that of her now. Um, she and the mayor had a falling out when she was the council president over a couple of things. Most notably, um, this push to privatize JEA. She thought the mayor's office was handling it poorly, and was one of the roadblocks kind of in the way that, you know, ultimately kind of derailed this discussion about maybe privatizing JEA. Um, so she's going to run a campaign. She is a Republican like Lenny, and she is going to run a campaign that has to appeal to Democrats. She just recently hired um, Scott Arsenault, who was the general counsel for Andrew Gillum's gubernatorial campaign, certainly a kind of a big hire, but I, you know, it's yet to be seen what, what kind of effort she's going to have to make to appeal to Democrats. I'm just not sure what that looks like. And there's been some people arguing they have the hashtag she votes and that that's how her path to victory is. Do you, do you see that, that the sentiment, um, do do you think that there will be that gender split? I think there's going to be some, I mean, there has been some messaging already around that. I have no idea whether, that's going to be effective or how much they're going to emphasize that. I mean, Anna Brochet, by all kind of traditional 
means of evaluating a campaign doesn't really have a campaign right now. I mean, she has a couple of consultants working for her. She's out, you know, she's going to events and she's visiting with people. But I mean, there aren't any, she's not running any TV ads. She's not putting out any mailers, at least any that I'm aware of. Uh, and, and so she's not, re- I mean, other than interacting with people herself and maybe some volunteers helping her, I don't know what message or how they're pushing out any message. I mean, there really isn't one right now, except, you know, she's not Lenny Curry. Um, one thing you <clears throat> jumped into is, um, crime as is an issue. Obviously it was four years ago. It was a huge issue when, uh, Lenny Curry was able to defeat incumbent Alvin Brown and crime remains an issue. Um, so I guess, Start with the the question that's been thrown out to some people. Somebody threw it out to you the other day on Twitter. Well, is crime up or down? So what's what's the answer to that? Do we have a crime wave or not? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is that crime is basically where it was four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which I would not characterize as some sort of emergency. The problem for Lenny Curry is that he characterized that four years ago as some sort of a crisis. And so I logic follows that it would be a crisis now. Overall crime... The overall crime rate, so stuff that, you know, nonviolent crimes that most people don't care about, you know, petty larceny, um, as, as a whole, it is going down. That is part of a decades-long trend, not just in Jacksonville, but around the country. Crime is down everywhere. Mm-hmm. Overall crime was falling while Alvin Brown was the mayor. Um, this was, in fact, a line that Alvin Brown used to defend himself when he was under fire because what did happen under Alvin Brown's tenure was the violent crime rate ticked up just a few notches Mm -hmm. um, near the end of his term. And that was what Lenny Curry relied upon to attack him with. Violent crime is mostly stabilized now. It's maybe just a little bit below what it was four years ago, but the murder rate, which is a subset of violent crime is up and is like unmistakably up from Alvin Brown's tenure. The crime rate under Lenny Curry, I, I think Alvin Brown's worst year with murders is better than Lenny's best year. Hmm. Um, and, you know, murder is, is what we, you know, that's what people tend to care about. That's what leads, you know, headline news when people talk about crime. Right. Uh, and so, you know, again, is there a crime wave? I would not characterize that. Although this current year is outpacing last year in murders pretty significantly. I think when I looked at this on Friday, we did. 17 um, homicides so far in 2019, and we had about 10 or 11 at this point in 2018. Now, JSO and the city are certainly acting like there is a crime wave. I mean, that's the other kind of head-splitting part about this is that the mayor wants to argue everything's fine, the city's safe. Oh, but JSO is, we have learned, authorized unlimited overtime for the entire police department as Mm -hmm. part of some crime-fighting initiative. And the city council has set up this 46-person task force to work on, you know, solutions to the city's violent crime problem. So if we don't have a crime problem, why is there OT in this task force? Well, you know, we're not satisfied with where we are, but we're totally safe and there's no problem. I mean, it's all, you know, this is so all just nonsense. You're saying uh, you're a little cynical about Operation <laughs> Safe and Sound? Uh, yeah, some I, I'm not cynical at all. So yes. Uh, some of it said it's uh, Operation Re-election. Right. Well, I think I called Operation Get Me Reelected was the uh, 
the the sheriff and the mayor and the state attorney held a news conference last week that was about this unremarkable series of arrests that had been made months ago about people brandishing guns and rap videos and they rarely do the three of them hold a news conference like this over some arrests it was just clearly like a political event Hmm. which again is i think speaks to the idea that they think there is some at least perception of a crime wave if they're out there holding some dog and pony show over a couple felony arrests and beyond that you wrote um you wrote one column about the actual statistics how you know it was was interesting that the the triple shooting at rains back in i think it was august um 19 year old dead two high schoolers with injuries um that galvanized the start of some of this but that is not included in our homicide stats it's not included in the stats that um jso would give you if you ask them uh because jso would say not incorrectly that it happened on uh duval county schools property and duval county has its own kind of police department and they have to report their own crimes to the fbi and so and they don't count for jso's and so it it just illustrates a point which is that when you start talking about the numbers like this you know politicians can play all kinds of games because the reporting rules for how crimes are counted are really goofy and they're not really they don't really align with how like a normal person would think of you know if homicide happens in 2019 it should probably be counted for that year in 2019 that's not always how it works if it's Mm -hmm. solved you know you can have prior year arrests count in a current year and and so it's all weird and and so even when we're talking about these numbers you know, people would be well served to just be a little bit, um, you know, I, maybe that's cynical is the right word, but you know, maybe just look look for some larger context around those numbers before you, you know, before you buy into them, mm-hmm. hook, line, and sinker. And the other one you got into some was the uh, the death of seven year old Tayshawn Gallon last year. That you know, that was you, you talked about things high profile in the news that were going to knock down doors and what played out with that yeah so the seven-year-old boy was was killed by gunfire in the middle of this drive-by shooting and it was a huge deal when it happened last year um in february almost a year you know exactly a year ago and um you know the sheriff and the mayor stood you know shoulder to shoulder and the sheriff talked about how there's someone out there on the streets responsible for the death of a seven-year-old and we're going to get him and uh what happened was several weeks ago jso they have a little database with with um you know, all the homicides listed and someone went in and JSO and updated uh, to Sean's death as a uh, as a queered uh, justified homicide. And they didn't tell anybody. And a, uh, a reporter over at uh, First Coast News, our news partner, um, noticed that and asked JSO about it. And JSO didn't answer and then changed but did change in the database the uh, classification to an excusable homicide, which is kind of a weird term. No one had mm-hmm. ever really heard of. Um, and JSO dithered around for more than a day and didn't say anything about this um, or why, you know, how in the world a seven-year-old boy could be killed in, in crossfire and no one be arrested for it or even for it to be excusable. Uh, then JSO changed it back to justifiable homicide and explained that the boy's uncle shot him on accident, returning fire from this drive-by. That still didn't answer why the people who initiated the drive-by shooting could not be charged. In Florida, you do not have to be 
you don't actually have to be the person that killed somebody if you were committing a crime that led to the death of somebody. Mm-hmm. So they still didn't explain that. And we had to wait until the end of the week when the state attorney's office issued its disposition statement, its statement explaining why no one would be charged until we could roughly figure out that the cops just never really were able to determine who was in the car. But the stat, which is the relevant thing here, right. the stat is that this boy's death will be a cleared homicide on the books, a, a cleared non-murder homicide, which, you know, clearance rates are a big deal for police departments. And on paper, that'll that'll be a good stat. You know, hey, that that's our clearance rate, you know, is what it is. And that's that's that will look on paper like the process ended neatly mm-hmm. and the you know even surface level details of that case show that that it ended anything but neatly i mean it was just you know it's a tragedy and you know why his death and the circumstances around it didn't merit a news conference uh for the sheriff and maybe even the mayor and state attorney to clearly explain what happened that you know that one eludes me Mm -hmm. um you mentioned task forces and yeah i think they're not again, not that you would be cynical, but uh task forces have given historically reason to be cynical. I think I mentioned it was before you got here that the you know parks are something I care about, and they had this i think it was two thousand five great task force with you know smart um influential people they did a really thorough job a great job of putting together looking across the country and here's what other places have done, and here's what we need to do and then nothing really became of it um and then you rattled off a bunch of examples since then um why we would be cynical about this task force leading to changes yeah so i mean and so this this crime task force the city council president aaron bowman formed it um yeah and the catalyst did seem to be this high school shooting over the summer um and again the cynical mind would say Okay, well, Bowman is an ally of Lenny, and so this is, you know, they're, they're just trying to push the crime issue off until after the elections. Because a 46-person task force w- may well do a good number of things. It will not do anything quickly. Um, <laughs> and so certainly whatever comes out of this group is not going to happen until after the elections, uh, even if there's a runoff. And um, But, you know, let's take his word that this is a good faith effort. Okay. And let's take the mayor's word that they support this task force, which is also kind of a stretch, but okay. Um, You know, even assuming those things, I mean, Jacksonville has, you know, just a terrible record of, of listening to anything a task force has to say that, that involves uh, real practical solutions. Um, You know, really, you don't need a 46 person task force to, to, to tell you what what everyone already knows, which is that the city just does not have enough money. I mean, it's I won't say the city's broke because we can pay our bills, but that's real some of them. But we that's really about it. I mean, we can kind of keep up with a base level of infrastructure needs, and because the overall economy is growing, property values are rising, and that gives us a little bit more money most years. But that's it. I mean, the, the city just doesn't have anywhere near the revenue it needs to to pay for stuff, and you know the school system is talking about this right now. I mean, Duval County is uh, a place where, where developers don't pay impact fees. Um, in, a lot of pla- in a lot of other places in Florida, those impact fees help pay for schools. They, they don't do that here. Right. Um, you know, 
hell, in, in Duval County developers, we pay them to do work. Uh, that's usually how it works in downtown. You get cash money if you want to. Oh, you want to build a Ferris wheel or a you know, a, you know, Dave and Buster's. You know, we may give you money for that. Right. You had you wrote the city already has a poor record of heeding the advice of task forces and committees. It will be positively deaf and blind to any suggestion that these investments can only come from a tax or fee increase. Which I think that kind of summed it up. That often that's the bottom line of these task forces. That well, if you want to make we need this, this, and this, and this will cost money, and things kind of, that's where the brakes come on often. Yeah, I, you know, when Alvin Brown was the mayor, it was, I remember it being a really popular thing for these these elected Republicans um, to talk about how you can't, to have nice things, you have to pay for them, and you can't be a great city on the cheap, and um, they don't talk about that anymore. Hmm. You know, I think back then it was a, it was a, it, you would hear that a lot one because it's true but also they just wanted to shame alvin you know alvin brown was a democrat but he was a very fiscally conservative he was anti-tax and i think you know in hindsight a lot of that was just intended to shame alvin brown Hmm. um you could say the same things now i mean we we're never gonna i mean the city is never gonna you know really move forward without finding more money and whether it comes from a tax or fee or whether the mayor thinks he can sell JEA and get a huge amount of windfall. I mean, that's it's just going to have to be money from somewhere. Right. Um, I was going to ask you one last thing. The Since you and Chris Hong did the uh, series on the, I think we would we title it, The River Creeps In. As the ocean creeps ocean in. Ocean creeps in. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, the river's already here. Yeah. Um, um, it, this past week, there was a gathering out at the beach of beach mayors and Lenny Curry and talking about how we're going to do something about um, climate change and sea level rise. And um, so what did, what did you, what did you make of that? Uh, just give me a break. I mean, not, nothing's going to happen. But again, we don't have any money. So even if Lenny was interested in sea level rise, which I question that premise, you know, from the outset, what are we going to do? I mean, this is a problem that's going to cost millions and millions of dollars in resiliency projects we need in the army corps to cooperate we probably need you know a lot of federal money and you know i don't there's nothing the only thing the city is doing right now is forming this study group to look at resiliency issues and it's only doing that because the state requires everyone to do that Mm -hmm. that's the only thing they can point to and say well we care we're just checking some box on a regulatory compliance list that's that's the only thing that's happening right now does seem like beaches leaders have cared about it understandably they're going to be the ones affected probably most dramatically sure but but what what will play out i don't know um there's other obviously other beaches communities that have been more proactive much sooner um but i guess i took that as somewhat encouraging yeah i mean the beaches mayors are certainly they can talk about it all they want but you know they don't have the money to do anything real and you know, again, they're going to need the federal government to help, and they'll probably need the city at large to help. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Jaguar's owner wants to build this, you know, huge kind of cathedral to his own wealth out at, on the river in downtown, which is an area that floods. And in all of the discussions that we've had about this development, no one has talked about what he's going to be doing to make sure it doesn't all get washed away i I mean it's you know 
my own personal prediction, they'll probably try to get some kind of weird stormwater mitigation credits to get out of whatever meager work they'd have to do on drainage in the first place, you know? So I could be wrong, but I just, that, that would follow with past tradition, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I just, it, you know, it is easy to, to be cynical about a lot of stuff and, and yeah, I mean, sea level rise. I mean, the mayor is a man who praised Donald Trump on the day that he pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords, the this non-binding voluntary treaty that was just trying to get a cohesive plan to to tackle climate change. And you know, whatever you may or may not think about climate change, I think that indicates that our mayor doesn't really care about it that much. Uh, so I don't know why I'd care about it now, except that it's re-election time. So you're saying it's easier here. That's the uh, title of. I, I meant to get in the plug for the. Is it is it daily? You're yeah, doing it's it every a daily day? newsletter. Yeah, Five for, days a week, and I do the weekends. Except when you uh, you went down to the Keys, gave you a day off then. Yeah, an undisclosed location. Yes. Mark. You, oh, okay. You, oh, that's you right. Me. <laughs> I actually think Chris had already done that. Yes. But, uh, I think that's been in print, which will have to be the the one of the next podcasts. Chris and his outdoors column. Absolutely. Um, well, anyway, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for for joining me. And uh, let's see, Ron Littlepage used to refer to columnist as the joy givers and so yes you've been giving much joy already i hope so it's really my that was what i was told when i got this job yes yes that's the job description yeah an up with people kind of person (laughs) yeah all right well thanks nate and yeah look for his column on thursdays and sundays and the newsletter daily and how do how do people get the newsletter um, they can sign up for it. Um, it. We post the newsletter to our website every day, and there's a little link at the bottom that you can sign up for, and it'll theoretically be emailed to you. So hopefully that works. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.